Welcome to the Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, powered by ELEC 825. We are thrilled to join you on WWDB 860 AM and 97.5 Network, ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, I'm not even going to ask you if you watched the Thursday night game last night, because I know you didn't. But you actually, yes. but, but, you know, saying you're not going to ask me is the same as asking. I'm going to tell you what you missed, though. You missed Tom Brady not knowing it was fourth down, and then you missed Tom Brady walking off the field again without shaking Nick Foles' hand. So which one bothered you more? Uh, I could care less. He doesn't know fourth down. I, I'd like him to show respect to, to the I mean, he's gotten enough people over the years that have shown respect to him. I would argue that him not shaking his hand is showing respect to him. I, I felt bad looking around like a lost puppy at midfield for somebody's hand. In fact, I would be willing to bet you that Tom Brady and Nick Foles are probably friends off the field. I'm sure they are. That, that, that this is all just part of the persona of Tom Brady, the ultimate competitor who now can't count to four. I wouldn't go that far, but he can't count to four. <laughs> you know, I literally, I, I just want you to know, I literally gave you the biggest softball possible for a Rutgers guy to make fun of a Michigan guy, Michigan guy, and you totally missed it. Because you care about your college more than I do. <laughs> Yeah, but I gave you a chance to say that a Michigan degree must not be worth much, even though it's not true. And you just missed it. It was better to have I couldn't even let it go because you missed it. It was better to have you say it, frankly. Uh, (laughs) Before we went on the air, somehow we started talking about sports games that we played growing up and and clearly we grew up. Yeah, because I have my Mattel ColecoVision football here. Um, I do not have the electric football, but that's what we ended up discussing. We ended up talking about because I never understood that game, but I realized why, because you started reading the directions for it, which I never read directions. Nobody did. Anybody, any kid who had that game did not read the directions. My wife gets so mad at me. Packages will come and I'll just open it up and start putting it together. Like, aren't you going to read? I'm like, no, not particularly. So I didn't realize that there was a goal other than watching the guy fall off the edge because it vibrated too long. It, it, well, because I'm telling you, as I said, but I totally dispute whether or not those directions are accurate because there is nobody that's going to tell me that their electric football did anything other than watch the guys vibrate around until they fell off or you left the room. But then I told you, like, I got into I, I came up sort of in the gaming age of, you know, Sega and Nintendo. And hey, all so that. did I. Yeah, but were you into? Like, I had in television and Pac-Man. But they were different games. So on like. Right. Like I remember the <laughs> my guys were little blips and stick figures. I remember the Summer Olympics game on like yep. I had it. I remember yep. and there was a hockey game. But NHL '94 was like the first game and NBA Jam. Like those were those were fun sports games. We were talking about. We may start asking our guests what their favorite sports game is. Like we know that a lot of them are gamers. When we talked to Cole Irvin, he streams. While he plays, we know Ben Simmons. It doesn't is- even have to be in a, a a game that's connected to anything. Like like you, when we go over to the Union place, they actually play ping pong with their feet. Yeah, they do. That's fun. That they have fun. that cool that cool ping pong table that's sloped down, and they actually play it with their feet. Well, let's preview the show. We're going to get to our interview. We talked to him just before we went on the air after practice with Alejandro Bedoya. Uh, big Union win the other night, three nothing. Jeff, team's looking good. Looking really good. Second, they're tied for second place. They have the most goals in the East, and they have the best goal di- differential in the East. And I don't you, know what more you can ask from. And you'll bring that up to him as we go to it in a few minutes. And then at four thirty, we'll have our interview with LaSalle head coach Ash Howard, uh, the latest coach in our coaches versus cancer series. 
uh, I think this conversation and they're going to like coach Howard. Yeah. And you know what, with regard to, with regard to Allie, it's nice to have him on. He so many times is the voice of, of social consciousness for the union and for this area. And so we decided we're actually doing something a little different this time. So we're going to just talk soccer. We'll give him a, give him a breather from that and just talk a little soccer and, and talk about his own background, get to know him. Preview a little bit of Ash when we get to that afterwards. Let, let, just give me your initial thoughts for people to think about as we head to 430 there. I just think that, you know, he's another example of a, a young coach. You know, there, there are so many young coaches in the city that it, it's it's like the next generation is here. And we should appreciate think any of these guys are short-termers. I think that Ash Howard and, and the other group, the guys that we interviewed over the past few weeks for Coaches versus Cancer, are the next generation that's going to be here for a long time. And they're going to have a big impact on the city, just like they're doing with coaches versus cancer and taking the, the players over to Hope Lodge. I will give you credit again. This was a great idea to, to have some of the coaches on, turn it into a series. Uh, I, I think people are going to enjoy it. Why don't we go to our conversation with Ali Bedoya? Uh, let's go to that and we'll come back and talk more. Fresh off practice and another big win by the Union, 3-0 over Cincinnati this week. We've got Philadelphia Union captain and midfielder Alejandro Bedoya. How are you doing today, Alejandro? Yes, sir. How, how, I'm doing all right. How about you? Yourself? I'm enjoying this nice weather. Uh, we can't complain. The weather is great. We're, we're watching the Union play some great soccer out there. Get to talk to you. Uh, been a crazy season, but the resiliency of this team keeps kind of showing through. Can you tell us what it's been like this year out there with, with this group of guys going to battle? Yeah, it's a lot of stop and start and stop and start and so much uncertainty. You know, it's, it's just such a unique, bizarre year for for, for everyone in our country or uh, around the world for that matter. Um, but I think, like you, you said the right word, I think. Our team's been really uh, resilient, um, you know, with all the adversity thrown at us and everything. Um it's been it's been it's been nice to see you know uh, our depth of the team you know uh, the, the fact that we've got a, such a a young team you know um, we've always been talking about this next man up and it's it's really shown throughout the, the last games you know uh, where you see uh, at one point I forget the exact game but I think there was like five or six six homegrown guys playing at the same on the field at the same time. So, you know, credit to the whole coaching staff, to all the players on the team for, for really coming together um, through, you know, strange times and, and uh, being able to perform on the field and, and also, you know, do a lot of things, um, stamp for a lot of things off the field. You've had the opportunity to kind of watch this team grow over the years, homegrown guys, the guys they've built, and kind of grow with Jim Curtin to the point that now you're in second place in goals in the East and you have the best goal differential in the East. What's it been like being on the inside, watching the growth of this team and how this team has come together to this point? It's been great. It's been awesome. I think, like I mentioned earlier to the coaching staff, um, for Jim, I think a lot of these guys, the guys like Brendan and, and Fontana, I think he's coached them since they were like 10, 11, 12 years old, right? So he's known them for a long time. So, you know, besides the X's and O's and all the tactical stuff, uh, part of being a coach is, is being a, 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 like a manager, right? A player manager, you know, managing different egos and, um, and personalities and things like that. So he's been able to do a great job of, you know, mixing, you know, the, the veteran guys with the youth and, you know, creating kind of a culture, you know, that, that word gets thrown around a lot. But I think since I've gotten, got here and, and late 2016 to where we are now, 
that, that kind of team culture and, and, and spirit within the locker room has really shown itself. And, and that's the reason why where we are, where we are, you know, uh, uh, the locker room is, is, is really united on all fronts. Um, we, we've got a good mix, you know, the banter flying in and out <laughs> inside the locker room and that always transcends into, into on the field. Um, and we've been able to do great things with, uh, with our players, you know, and the system that we play, you know, we're able to adapt playing different formations. And like I said, the next man up being able to put guys in, in different areas and, and just being able to play, um, play well. And, you know, that's, like I said, credit back to the coaching staff. I think we've been able to do the best with what we got, maximize what we got, you know, on our team. You talked about the banter on the team. Is this team a fun team to be around? Oh, yeah, yeah. This, this team is a lot of fun to be around. You know, I think when I first got here, it, it was a lot of fun with the banter. You know, that's where kind of this culture kind of started around. Uh, you know, my corner was like me, Goots, Charlie Davies, uh, Chris Pontius, Marisa Du, Mo, uh, Keegan Roseberry, like all these guys, you know, they're, they're, they're a bunch of pranksters and jokesters. So it was a lot of fun. And, and then now, you know, you have a great mix of youth and, and uh, older guys and more foreign guys, you know. So guy, I think everybody will agree. Sergio Santos is a guy that's high energy, always just messing around, dancing and doing crazy things. And then you got a guy like Colin, Aurelian Colin, who, who he might not play as much, but he's a high energy guy and, you know, always cracking jokes and being funny. And, you know, you need that in the locker room, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, you try to mix in with the, the young guys, you know, you try to, you know, you don't pick on them, but you try to get them to show their personality a bit more, right? Uh, so a guy like Brendan, who maybe was for initially a shy guy, you know, and now he's opened up a bit more. And uh, that's important to have that um, unity off the field. And, you know, you can have fun off the field, but we're a team that, you know, when, when the whistle blows between the lines, um, well, we're all about business and, and everybody applying themselves and giving the a max effort. And the fans have clearly enjoyed that fun. Jeff and I got to be in the stadium last year for the, the playoff win against the Red Bulls. Uh, I saw on social media the night after you walking off the pitch, uh, Coach Curtin going over to the fans that were outside the gate, you waving to the fans outside the gate. He was asked the other day what it's been like uh, missing fans at Subaru Park, and he said not having them there has been soulless. What's it been like for you as a player to play in empty stadiums, and how excited are you for this Sunday when you get some fans back in the stadium there? Yeah, I mean, soulless is kind of the right word. It, it sucks. <laughs> this game is meant to be played with fans, uh, and the fans are the ones that give you that, that energy, that extra little motivation, even when they're talking crap to you, right? Uh, you feed off of that energy. <laughs> uh, so I think uh, they've been missed uh, a lot. You know, I, I can just remember the game, and in, 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 we just played against Toronto up in Hartford, Connecticut. That's just a neutral zone, right? And literally before the game. We're just standing around uh, an extra minute, and you can hear a pin drop. You know, it's that's not how soccer is meant to be played. You know, it's not golf. Um, so, I think uh, I can't wait to have the fans back, even if it's I don't know the exact number, maybe just under three thousand. I think I was told um, they'll still bring some energy, and, and definitely I'd rather hear them than than have to hear maybe you know the goalie screaming at me or something. <laughs> So uh, I think uh, it just adds to another layer of energy, and, and that's what that's what this game needs and, and misses. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. You've grown up in a soccer family. Your grandfather and your father, I believe, played soccer, professional soccer in Colombia. So, so you've gotten to see the rabid fans of international soccer. What was it like to grow up 
uh, in a soccer family and kind of see it from the inside as a kid. And what did you learn most from, from your, your father and your grandfather, both on the pitch and off? Yeah, my family, they're, they're Colombians. Um, that's my background. I grew up in a household where soccer was either being listened to on the radio every weekend or uh, watching on TV. You know, I, I don't think I can get in trouble now saying we had like a black box or something back in the day <laughs> that we'd be able to get some games. But uh, I think many people had that. Um, but yeah, it's just rooted in our family and going to games uh, whenever I went to Columbia, it could be intimidating as a kid, you know, uh, the passion that a lot of these fans show and, and the way they support their teams, um, you know, for better or worse. I don't know. That, that could debate in itself. But I think uh, growing up with soccer culture, you know, you see how passionate and ingrained these fans are. And you're, you're seeing that now, you know, here in Philly with, you know, the Sons of Ben and, and, and that side of the stadium and, and with a lot of uh, MLS uh, teams that are growing their soccer culture. Uh, it's just a unique uh, atmosphere. You know, I think in most American sports, you know, you're used to maybe, uh, you know, going to the stadium, you know, getting, ordering a, a soda and your nachos or popcorn and, and, and sitting there, you know, for, for entertainment. But you see always a playoff atmosphere that gets ramped up because the fans get more into it. And that's what soccer is all about for 90 minutes. That's what makes it so amazing. Uh, and, 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 you know, why we miss the fans so much because they are a big part of the game uh, and they make a difference. Uh, you know, I think they, they helped us push, uh, you know, that our first playoff victory against the Red Bull uh, definitely needed their energy and we needed them to be screaming at us at, at going into the tunnel at halftime, you know, to wake us up a bit. Um, so they're a crucial part of the game. And, and yeah, I think growing up in that, that household and with that, um, with those roots, um, I'm just used to that and I, I love it. As somebody who's used to that and grew up in that international soccer community, you mentioned the growth of the sport here in the States. How cool is that for you as a player to tell on being on the leading edge of that growth to watch sort of the explosion that soccer's having in terms of the culture that's developing in all these different areas and the fandom that there is? Yeah, it's been great to see the development of our game here and the sport. You know, I think in a lot of areas, it's, it's the fact that, being uh, grown kind of organically, you know, within the, the community, you know, I think you've seen what Atlanta's been able to do. You see what's happening kind of, you know, it's the same with the coronavirus here, but in Nashville and other and other clubs, um, you know, Seattle, you know, Portland, all these fan bases, you know, the, the followings that they have and the kind of soccer culture they've they, they, they've gotten. Uh, you know, LFC, I can mention that, you know, that the wall that they have is standing uh, side of their stadium to to that to those local communities, and that's what makes the soccer uh, fan base and, and kind of uh, culture so unique uh, and so awesome. So I, I've seen it, you know, from far away in Europe, you know, developing here in MLS, and now firsthand uh, the last four years, um, and it, it's great. It's it's much needed um, to continue our, our the growth of our sport and. Uh, you know, I think I can speak for any athlete and, and or for fan for that matter or people viewing that on TV. It, it, sports is just not the same without without fans. You know, I saw that you not only not only did you get the opportunity to play after college, after Boston College, play in Sweden. Uh, I saw an article where you were asked a, qu- a question about what it was like to play over there. And you indicated that 
your teammates wanted to know if college was like Animal House, old school, and American Pie. <laughs> how how does that come up, and and, and what was your answer to that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's always interesting, right? Because here, uh, at least growing up, you know, it's always ingrained in me that education is is a, is the most important thing. It's very important. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, when you grow up in, in elsewhere in the world um, where soccer is like the main sport and, and they live and breathe it and, and, and everything, um, that's everybody's kind of goal almost is to become a professional soccer player. But that's just, you know, very few actually make it. So here the route is to try to get a soccer scholar. At least it was when I was growing up. And, and that's I was able to do that. But then you go to college and – you know, there, it's like in Europe, you know, you either make it or you don't. And here, if you get your education, you get to, you don't miss out on the college life, right? Um, and college life is very fun. It's a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun there. And that's what I kind of try to tell them. You know, obviously watching movies like Project X or whatever they are, uh, <laughs> things can get out of hand at times. You know, we all know that there's keggers and uh crazy house parties and, and things like that but um you know at the end of the day, you can easily fail out if you don't focus on your studies or you know get kicked off your soccer team or your sports team if you if you don't abide by you know the, the certain rules um so yeah i think well, i first went to sweden and you know i think in sweden um they watch a lot of American TV. You know, I could flip on any Swedish channel and they'd be showing reruns of reruns of Seinfeld or Friends or, you know, all these American movies, flicks that, that they love to watch out over there. And that was a big, big topic of conversation all the time is they really would love to come visit me on the off season, you know, to Miami or go to see New York or L.A. Uh, and always talk about like, you know, college. Like, I want to go. They they want to experience college, and for me, it was like so weird because you know I always wanted to become a professional, right? And so, but I had to go to college route where I, where they they didn't have that experience, as I would say. And you know, I I would think that college life is an experience that everybody should maybe have a couple of years of. I enjoy well, my time. Well, so since they since they decided that they were going to come visit you. You're now a Philadelphian. If if they come visit you, I understand that you and your wife are art fans. What, which museum are you going to take them to first? Which museum? Well, you know, the first thing they'd ask me whenever I come back home is, for whatever reason, they they want me to shop for them. You know, like get Abercrombie and Fitch clothes, or <laughs> I don't know all these brands here. But I would definitely take them, obviously, to the Museum of Modern Art. Um, the PAFA is also good. Um, or and the Barnes Foundation. The, Mount, the Barnes Foundation is, uh, is a beautiful museum, too. Um, you know, I think Philadelphia still, you know, I would like to have better galleries in, in Philly, you know. Um, but uh, those those three are definitely uh, some really good spots to go to. Well, we thank you so much for giving us a couple minutes coming out of practice. I uh, wish you great success and the best of luck in the game this weekend and hope to get to talk to you again. Thank you so much for the time, Alejandro. Yeah, no, thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Have a great day. Jeff, I love his honesty. <laughs> About which part? All of it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we, we get confessions of union players on the radio show. Casper Shabilko said he had a fake ID. Uh, no, he did not have a fake what, was ID. It, what did he say he had? He, he had a driver's license that I think his twin brother took the test. <laughs> 
Oh, okay. So it's legitimate, but he didn't I, I think. Ali says that he had a black box. I, I enjoy the things that that we get to to hear. Uh, but you know, you asked I thought, I thought the the you know, as much as we wanted to do something fun so people kind of get to know Ali, um, keep in mind that this is still a, a soccer team and it's kind of interesting to get his perspective because he is the fly on the wall. He's the guy. Uh, who's been there for a few years with Coach Carton and watching all of these guys either come here by trades or acquisitions, or as he put noted, there's six guys that are homegrown guys. And they're not, these are really good guys. I mean, look, Brendan's leaving at the end of the season. That's, so. the, that's the point there. It's not just that they're homegrown. It's that they're potential stars, a lot of them. <laughs> and so it's it's the talent that's being developed. And he's been able to watch that. You're right from from start to, to current and Jim Curtin has helped develop these guys from the time they were kids in the program. And you're really seeing it start to pay off. And, uh, you know, just fun about state of the team, what it's like to play without any fans. So I'm just going to point something out here. Yeah. Uh, you don't all have we talk, all we talk about, with, all we talk about with, with the Sixers is the process, right? Yeah. The union actually did the process the right way. Yes. Okay, this is how you build a team in any sport, which is you get a mix of of guys that are up and comers, veterans and young players that you grow yourself. You put them around a young coach who's been part of the game and you let them develop and then you add pieces as needed in those last few years. And now you're seeing with with the union making it to the playoffs and winning in the playoffs that now they've added a couple more pieces. Everybody's has worked together more. And now you're at a point that they are second second place in the East. And if somebody would have told you at this point in the season, no matter what's been going on, you know, off the pitch, that they would have the most goals in the conference. And you're seeing that I was crazy. You're seeing the depth that they're starting to develop. I mean, Joseph Martinez mm-hmm. is going to go play for Argentina, which definitely wasn't the plan. And all of a sudden, Anthony Fontana, another homegrown talent who's put up a couple goals already, mm-hmm. steps right in. You have Corey Burke coming back, who will have to get back up to speed. But they're a team to watch as, as we go forward. Why don't we uh, talk? You want to go football or baseball, Jeff? Where you want to go? Do you Wherever want your heart. Well, why don't we go football? Because there's there's enough ridiculousness off the field that we can talk about with football, huh? So they're going to allow up to 7,500 fans in the stands in Pennsylvania. They'll, they'll have like 5,500 in Pittsburgh on, on Sunday. In downtown Pittsburgh, they're going to let fans in. I want to know how they figured out who gets in. <laughs> I mean, the, Steel- the Steelers are sold out as far as season tickets. I'm sure a lot of people opted out this year. But then when they make the decision that they're allowing a few thousand in, I mean, probably about 10% of what they would normally allow in. How are they making the decision of who those people are? I don't know. If I were them, I'd be more worried about what they have going on with some of these COVID outbreaks. Uh, you got games being canceled and moved. Well, the around. Steelers don't have that problem yet. No, because they haven't played. Because the right. Titans guys still have positive tests coming up. All right. So now I'm going to ask you a question. The Titans not only had a problem with COVID and have a problem with COVID, they apparently have a problem with rules on top of it. So they're taking it so lax that they've now gotten a problem where they shut the facility down after not playing a week because a, a massive number of players and coaches have contracted it. 
And apparently, and so, hold on. So then, follow the rules. So hold on. So then they then what they do is they say you have to go home. Okay. So no more people get it. And instead they go to a high school and practice, apparently without some masks on. What are they thinking? And now what do you do with them? They should have to forfeit the games. Yeah, but see, here's the that's the, not the that's, other team's fault that they couldn't follow the same protocols that everybody else is cor- following. Correct. So I my gut reaction is the same as yours. They should have to forfeit the game. The problem is for the teams that are that are not playing them or that are in contention against teams that are their opponents, the other team's getting a free win. So I, I you know, the more I thought about it, the more I said, yeah. They shouldn't play the game, but I don't know what you do because it's not fair to the other teams when you do this. Because then I heard that they were con- now the NFL is considering that if there's too much of this and they continue to play, what they're going to do is consider the MLB thing, which is we're not going to go by total wins. We're going to have to go by win percentage, oh. which is nonsense. That, that actually does that can benefit the team like the Titans if you go by win. You're not playing the harder games. Someone still needs to explain to me how the Kansas City New England game was played this past week. I, I don't understand it, but I, I don't, I don't, I don't buy. You know, because you you texted me and called me and said how how you know what are the Chiefs going to do because Mahomes dapped up uh, Gilmore. Who now that, that was that, dining with Cam. yeah, but but that's that's not the big issue to me because he was tackling people all all game long, and every time you tackle, there's there's droplets flying out of your face. So that's not what I don't understand about why they why they played this game is they obviously thought it was enough of a concern that they put the Patriots players on two separate planes. That one where they had, they, they had close contact with somebody who may have had it, including Cam Newton and Gilmore was apparently on that plane. And then you had one where they didn't have close contact. Well, what the hell does it matter if you then put them in a locker room and on the field together? That was my question. What was the point of separating them? If you then put them together? Yeah. It made, it made no sense whatsoever. And then Belichick's there with like seven masks on his face while he's playing the game. He's got mask over mask. And meanwhile, they're not following it anyway. I don't know what the, you know, the Jets closed their their camp today, uh, sent people home because they potentially have a positive. Yeah, well, wait, did they send the Jets home because there's COVID or just because they suck? Well, that they may be separate. Because <laughs> there's really no point in the Jets ever playing a football game. Um, some other news, uh, Dwayne Haskins benched for the Washington football team. Uh See ya. <laughs> in 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 ret- and who's playing in his place? Uh, jo- uh not Josh Allen. A- Allen, I forget. Kyle Allen. The 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 interesting thing there is the backup quarterback now is Alex Smith, who is trying to make a comeback. Well, wait, they didn't cut Haskins. Players. You're telling me Haskins moved to Haskins third. Haskins apparently is now the third stringer. Hmm. Uh, Alex Smith will be the backup. I have to tell you, I called that wrong because if you remember, uh, I was saying that people should jump up and draft Haskins, and and I, I'm saying that as a Michigan alumni, saying this about an Ohio State guy, and and he clearly hasn't worked out. I don't think he's ready yet, but I'm not ready to write him off. He's had di- two different offenses, different philosophies. Didn't have an off season to prepare with this coach. I'm not ready to write him off, and the only reason they're making this move because the NFC East is so bad that they're not eliminated. Do you know 
that the Eagles. <laughs> you and I aren't eliminated. Eagles, the Giants, and Washington are mm. 23 and a half point underdogs combined in their games on Sunday. And the only reason it's not more is because the Giants are playing Dallas. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the Cowboys defense is so bad right now. But it, it is amazing to me how bad this entire division is. I mean, they really don't deserve to get a playoff team. At one, two, and one, the mm-hmm. Eagles are first place after their winner. The tie is really working out for them. It is. You know, how sad when 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 you getting a tie is actually working to your advantage, you know that you're in a bad division. I asked somebody, what's the over under <clears throat> for the team that comes out of the NFC East? Is it seven? Six. 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 You're gonna have you're gonna end up having that that team with the losing record that makes the playoffs this year. And and, and that's that's assuming they play all of the games. It might be less than six if they don't end up playing all the games. A percentage of six that's divided by twenty-two. So did you see the latest thing? The, the you know, the coaches, including every time I see John Gruden, he doesn't have his mask on. And, yeah, I'll keep getting fined. It doesn't seem yeah. to be working. Yeah, that doesn't seem to be working. But now what they're doing, and I don't know why they didn't consider this sooner, is that if a coach goes over and talks to a ref, it's a penalty. Yeah, I saw that. That you can't. That talk, might work. Talk to him if talk to him without a mask. Right. Yeah. Yeah, they're allowed to talk to him, just not without a mask on. That might actually work. Do you think the Eagles coaches have a don't want penalties? Do you think the Eagles have a chance this weekend against Pittsburgh? Only, only if Mike Tomlin doesn't wear his mask every time he talks to the ref. I mean, Roethlisberger—that's really the only shot they've had. Complaining, saying it's not fair for him in recovering from his shoulder injury and preparation, but they still have Look, their defense. Uh, ben Roethlisberger is not one of the guys that should be whining about how the poor rules aren't working to his advantage. Okay, and I'll just leave it at that. But the steel, the Steelers' offense is going to run over the Eagles' defense, and the. Pittsburgh defense, as usual, is really good, and the Eagles are shorthanded, especially on offensive line. I don't see a single position that they're bet that the Eagles are better than the Steelers at. Not one. Can you name me one position? Not even kicker. Uh, punter. <laughs> Cam Johnson. He's a weapon. Okay. There you go, Jeff. That that that'll win. That'll win your game. You'll be two two and one at that point. Pin him down. Jeff, let's mm-hmm. go uh, talk some college basketball. Let's uh, bring on our interview with uh, LaSalle coach Ash Howard, and then we'll come back and talk about it afterwards. Uh, we're thrilled to be joined right now by Coach Ash Howard of LaSalle University. Coach, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing awesome, guys. Thanks for having me today. How are you? Uh, we're fantastic. Uh, we, we've been excited for the opportunity to <clears throat> do this series focus, focusing on uh, coaches versus cancer, in particular what the, the Philadelphia coaches have done with it. You guys had a huge event recently uh, with the coaches versus cancer off the court special raised over $500,000. Can, can you talk a little bit about what it was like to participate in that event and everything? So because of the, the COVID-19 pandemic, um, we, we weren't able to do some of the events that, that we normally do to raise money for Coaches versus Cancer this year. And um, Diana Dalton and Allie Gill uh, are the two women that, that work directly with Coaches versus Cancer. And, and, and they've been great in terms of uh, being innovative and creating ways that we can continue to, to, to fight um, this cause, um, even, even during this difficult time where, you know, we can't, you know, do, do our normal our, our normal um, fundraising. So they came up with the concept of uh, the coaches versus cancer off the court special 
um, which was on uh, NBC uh, Sports. And, you know, I believe we, we have another episode coming up this week. And, um, you know, it just celebrates the history and the tradition of uh, the City Six basketball programs and talks about um, how unique uh, Philadelphia College basketball is. And one of the things that makes us, um, you know, extraordinary um, is, is our involvement in Coaches versus Cancer, how all of the different, uh, you know, institutions, you know, we compete during the year. We want to uh, we want to win every game that we compete against each other. But, you know, the, the biggest fight that we're fighting together um, is the fight versus cancer. And um, all of us have been impacted by it. And it's something that is very important to us. And, and I'm just excited and um, uh, honored to be a part of it. Coach, as, as part, you mentioned the City Six. Uh, we've talked to other coaches in the city. You're part of an impressive fraternity of coaches that are not only great on the court as coaches, but are great off the court, both as lead men and also leaders in, in raising awareness and raising money for important charities in the city. What's it like to be part of that fraternity? Well, it, it's awesome because, you know, you're, you're a part of something bigger than yourself. And, and you're constantly reminded that, right? You know, being like the basketball community, um, there's some prestigious coaching fraternity. Um, what it represents to me is just, you know, being around men who are great leaders, who made an impact at, at their respective institutions and, and, and on the Philadelphia basketball community. And now I'm in a position where I'm carrying the torch. And coaches versus cancer is something that, um, you know, Coach uh, Fran Dunphy and Coach Phil Martelli, they they adopted it and and they made it their baby and and and, and it's really taken off. And now you know Philadelphia uh, is the is the leading um, fundraiser for Coaches Versus Cancer, and and it has a lot to do with the efforts of Coach Dunphy and Coach Martelli. And now you know you have a, a younger regime of coaches, including myself, Aaron McKee, Billy Lang, Zach Spiker. Um, who are who are you know all relatively new to um, our respective um, platforms at LaSalle, Drexel, Temple, and St. Joe's respectively, and you know we're just here to carry the torch. So you know you know it's a part of being some being a part of something bigger than yourself, and and doing um, whatever we can to use our platform to to influence change. And, and to help fight this this battle um, that, that we've all been impacted by. One of the areas that is that you're raising monies for uh, and that the coaches go out to is Hope Lodge. What what has been your impression of Hope Lodge and what it means to the city? Well, last year we took our team to Hope Lodge and, um, you know, we, we served dinner to the, the families, um, that, that were that were currently staying there, and Hope Lodge is a, is an extraordinary program. So what Hope Lodge does is they provide housing for cancer patients that travel to the Philadelphia area, and we have um, uh, we have we have multiple Hope Lodge locations uh, across the country. Um, we have more than thirty uh, Hope Lodge locations across the country, and, and our our location in Philadelphia is in the Sheltonham area. And so for uh, cancer patients that travel from outside of our region, 
they can come to Hope Lodge and have a place where they can stay, have a place where they can receive meals while they're getting their treatment. A lot of times these families, they have to pay to travel. They have to pay for hotels. So Hope Lodge gives these families that are in dire need the opportunity to have the support um, to not have to spend those, those, those extra funds on, on lodging and food um, while they're, while they're um, you know, in our region uh, receiving treatment from some of the best cancer treatment places that you can find in the country. You know, you talk about bringing your team there, and you know, you're obviously a developer of, of men and leaders. How important is that for the off-the-court and on-the-court development of bonding to be able to have them in that situation where they see the larger picture outside of the game that they get to play every day? Well, I think that's what it's all about, uh, you know, for our guys understanding that we're um, significantly blessed, right? And, 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 and we believe that, that we're blessed so that we can share our blessings with others. And, you know, you don't know the impact that you can have on other people until, you know, you put yourself in the position and in the mindset to give back, right? And, and, and whether it's just um, a simple hello, how's your day going? Um, you know, whether it's, you know, have an opportunity to sit down and, you know, ask a, a, a cancer uh, patient, you know, how they're doing, how they're feeling, talk to them a little bit about our experience and what we have going on so they can take their mind off of the fight that they're fighting um, and how therapeutic that could be for somebody. Um, just offering your time and showing somebody that you care. You know, those things make a huge impact and, and it's important that our young people understand that, um, you know, you know, you know, we all are, 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 are very privileged in our, in our own regard. And, um, we sort of live in our own world at times. So whenever we can step outside of our world and, and then, and then, um, step into somebody else's world and, and see, uh, the, the, the struggles that some people have and, and, and it reminds us how, how extremely fortunate we are and, and how we have to use our platform uh, to, 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 to help other people and, and not be consumed with our own uh, motives and our own agendas. You know, you can, you can see, I saw a video of the players wishing you a happy birthday, something that simple. You can see the bond that you have with them. And you, know, you talk about hearing from the cancer patients and their concerns. You're dealing in a, in a difficult time, social questions, other questions that are out there. And I saw a comment from you um, talking to your players about the pain that they're feeling, um, that they're angry, they're confused, they're scared, and they want to do something. They just don't know what exactly to do. Uh, can you talk about, you know, these are higher level conversations than X's and O's on, on the basketball court. How has that been for you as a coach uh, to work with your players through these very challenging issues and times? Well, I think the biggest thing for our, our young people to understand is that in this world, you have people who think differently than you. You have people who have different experiences than you and believe that we're all a product of our experiences. Um, the one thing that sports gives us the opportunity to do is to, to learn um, about people from different walks of life, to interact with people that come from different backgrounds and um, you know, different religions, and, and, and I think that's the beauty of sport, right? Um, you know, and, and that's why sports brings us all together because 
it's a it's one common thing that that people that come from all different walks of life, you know, they share in common, right? Whether you know you're a fan of the Eagles or whether or not you know you play basketball for LaSalle University, um, you know, sports is is something that uh, that that uh, that that um, brings unity, right? And 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 in our and in our country and in our world today, I just think we need more unity. Um, there's a lot of hate in the world. The only way you can combat hate is with love. And the only way you can love somebody is to understand them, right? So, you know, we, we talk a lot about, um, you know, educating ourselves, not just on um, the, the history of of um, um, blacks in America, but, you know, just continue to educate yourself on the history of all people so we can understand why people think the way they do and, and, and not to condemn somebody for the way they think, but to pray for them and to, and to um, and encourage people to think outside of their box, right? And, um, you know, it's a, it's a challenging time, but, you know, without any struggle, there is no progress. And that's a, that's a quote that we use from Frederick Douglass, and it's something that, that, um, that, that we know to be true, right, as a, as a, as a, a program that's very much building. Um, uh, I think, you know, we, we've had some struggles early, and, 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 and there's light at the end of the tunnel for us. So we use a lot of the parallels that, that we that we see um, as a basketball team. You know, we correlate that to real-life experience. And, um, and and I think, you know, our, our guys are, are, are starting to, to, to understand and um, but but it's 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 a challenge. It's a, it's a challenging situation, especially when we weren't around our guys and you were going through all the social justice and uh, social unrest and um, you know the the, the murder of uh, George Floyd and then Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery and um, so many others. Um, you know the challenge was not being around my players to be able to hug them and talk to them and and um, and and and, um, and get that perspective. But now that we're back, um, it's, it's been a little easier to manage just because we're face-to-face and we can have that dialogue. We like to talk to players and coaches about how they can use their platform for positive change. You come from a family that does that. Your father was a basketball player, and he's also one of the founders of the Philadelphia Black Basketball Hall of Fame. What what did you take away from your experience both on and off the court as a kid uh, who was around people like your father, like Pete Maravich, like other NBA players that were using their platform uh, for positive change? Well, um, you know, you know, for, for me, I, I was very um, privileged uh, growing up to, to grow up in a basketball family and and to be um, exposed to, um, you know, just the the importance of, you know, using basketball to foster relationships um, that you ordinarily wouldn't have access to. And, you know, I, I grew up around some great people. I played in the Sunny Hill League. And, you know, in the Sunny Hill League, you know, you know we had great, mentors, you know, guys like Mr. Hill, guys like Claude Gross, um, you know, guys like T. Shields, Mr. Tony San Martino, John Harnett, um, you know, um, Ike Kehoe. Uh, there were so many great men that, that mentored us in that league. And, and, um, and, we, and we were taught, 
um, in that league, you know, the, the importance of education. We were taught the, the importance of respect. We were taught the importance of showing up on time. So there's so many valuable life lessons that, that I learned um, growing up playing the, in the Sunny Hill League, um, you know, growing up um, being the son of Mo, where people actually, you know, uh, took a little more interest in me because of the relationship they had with my father. And, and um, you know, it, it's something that, you know, when I look back on my journey and how I've gotten to this point, um, you know, I've been, you know, you know, I, I've been extremely uh, blessed to have great mentors and people that, that took an interest in me that wanted to teach me uh, the right way to lead. And, and I've learned from, from, from the men that, that led me uh, along the way. So, you know, I think, you know, that just being a fly on the wall and being able to, to, um, to watch um, great leaders um, is something that, that I've taken and implemented um, into my own coaching philosophy. And, and there's a significant reason why I'm in the position I'm in today. You know, you mentioned <clears throat> being a fly on the wall. Along with your dad, you, you were on John Janini's staff. You were on Bruiser Flint's staff. You work with Jay Wright. Uh, all these before you came head coach. And, you know, you have a reputation for being a big-time recruiter. You, you recruited Mikael Bridges, Jalen Brunson, among others, Dante DiVincenzo. What is it that you sell to players? Because, I mean, Jeff and I always marvel at the the talent that of coaches and, and people that we get to talk to in this city. Um, but clearly you've, you've got something that you pitch and we can hear it talking to you. What, what is it that you've learned that you've been able to impart on people and, and make them buy into your vision wherever you've been? You know, I think the most important thing is to understand what each individual recruit um, is, is aiming for, right? So e each kid has a goal that they want to achieve. And then you, you you communicate with that with that with that student athlete. You get to learn them. You get to understand them. You get to to to, to recognize what what buttons to push with them, because the recruiting process is the process. Um, but the most important thing is the work you do when you get the recruit right. And you know, you know, you know. Dante DiVincenzo wasn't a big-time recruit when he committed to, to Villanova. Mikael Bridges, it wasn't like, you know, uh, you know, people were looking at those guys and saying, like, yo, man, those guys are going to be studs, right? Jalen Brunson was an exception. Um, Jalen was, uh, you know, he, he was the best point guard in college basketball when he was in high school and, um, and uh, an even better person and a, and a great leader who was taught by his mother and his father, um, you know how to how to be a, a a great leader, um. But you know, for for most of the guys that I've recruited during my career, it, it's been about implementing a plan once you get them to help them develop and 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 reach the their, their full potential. And you know, when I think of Mikael and Dante, I don't, I don't necessarily think about the recruiting process. I think about the early mornings and the late nights and the and the arguments and you know. Um, the reconciliations that, that go along with um, pushing and challenging these young people to become the best versions of themselves. Um, the recruiting process um, is, is something that, you know, is necessary at this level, but I think the real work is done once you get the recruits on campus and, and then you start developing their minds as, 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 uh, as athletes and as, and as young men and getting them to understand 
big picture. Um, if they if they're going to achieve the goals that they want to achieve, they got to work hard for it. It's not going to be easy, and and just you know letting them know that that, that you're there to support them through through it all, uh, the good and the bad. So, what do you see from the group of young men that you currently have to coach? What What are you looking forward to? What's the vision for this group? You know, so, so the vision for our group is is to learn first and foremost how to celebrate each other's successes, right? Um, you know, we 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 have a we we have a talented group. Uh, and, and, I, and I love our team. As a program, we haven't achieved the success that we want yet, so we're still building. There, there isn't a, a, a championship level team that that doesn't understand the importance of all of the parts, right? And because we're we're, we're such a you know a, a young team and. We're adding some new pieces. We had a couple guys that, that sat out last year, and we have some freshmen that are talented that are coming in, along with some returning guys who have some experience in our program. Understanding the importance of everybody's role and getting everybody to take their job serious um, is, is the key. And, and I believe that if we can appreciate each other um, for what each individual brings to the table, and if we can all remain committed to, to, you know, you know, constantly having a mindset of uh, of competing and and getting better, um, then I think the sky's the limit for this group of guys that we have. Um, and and the good part about it is we're still a very young team, and 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 we'll be returning, you know. <laughs> pretty much 85% of our roster uh, for the next couple of years. Uh, we have 10 freshmen and sophomores on our team, so we're young. Um, but, you know, we you know we, we still have um, a very high ceiling, and, and I'm excited about it. And, um, you know, just the fact that we're able to, to you know, practice now and prepare for a season, um, you know, it's something to be excited for because, um, you know, obviously um, – you know, in, in, in the climate of today, uh, you know, that wasn't necessarily um, something that we were 100% sure was going to happen a couple months ago. So the fact that we're, that we're back on the floor, we're back preparing for a season um, is something that we're really excited about and, and we're preparing to, 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 to represent LaSalle this year in a, in, in a big-time fashion. With everything that was going on off the court, how excited are you for that first tip-off and for playing those City Six games? Well, it's nothing like playing in the Big Five. Um, you know, I, I tell people all the time, you know, like leaving Philly wasn't an option for me. Um, you know, I'm I'm a, I'm 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 Philly through and through. Uh, so, you know, having those games where you know you play against, you know, Temple and Villanova and Penn. And St. Joe's, and and you know you you know playing against guys that you are high school teammates with in AAU, or you know you, you know you played high school ball with, or guys that you competed against all throughout high school, and now you're competing with those guys in college. That that's something that that uh, that you can't get anywhere else in 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 all of college basketball. So um, you know the fact that you know like we talked about, you know I 
you know, I have a great relationship with, with every one of the City Six coaches. And, um, you know, it, it is a brotherhood. It's a fraternity. So, you know, um, to, to be able to compete against guys um, that you that you you, um, you hold dear to your heart and you respect a great deal um, is, is awesome. Um, there's not one program that, you know, um, you know, once once we're done competing against them, I want I want I want all the teams to to win every game they play. Um, so uh, it's a unique it's a unique experience. Um, you know, we have a lot of local guys on our team, so I think they appreciate that 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 opportunity. And uh, we're looking we're looking forward to 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 this season and seeing um, if we can if we can take this program um, you know, to to another level this year. I think we I think we will. Coach, we look forward to watching you continue to build at LaSalle. Uh, thank you and congratulations for all you're doing with Coaches versus Cancer and, and for what you're doing, developing men and, and representing the city uh, the way it should be. We really appreciate the time you, you gave us. Thanks so much. Fellas, I appreciate you having me and, and, um, and uh, wish you guys all the best. And, and, and um, you know, go Explorers to all our Explorers fans listening. Jeff, of course, we like hearing the, the basketball stories, but the life lessons, the leadership stuff, that, that fascinates me with some of these coaches. I want to play for him. <laughs> I really do. I mean, like, you know, we talk to these guys week after week, and everyone's more impressive than next. But uh, if I if I have to have my druthers right now, I want to go play for him. Do you have eligibility? Yeah, I have. I, <laughs> I definitely have eligibility. Well, I don't know. Did I lose it by, by our tryout for um, – that's right. You're a professional now because we tried out for the blue coat. Well, I didn't sign a contract and I didn't have an agent. So yeah, so are. am I good to go back? To clarify, you weren't offered a contract. Then again, we still haven't been told we didn't make the team. Yes, we were. No, we, we had the coach on to tell me I got cut. You don't know if you made the I team. I don't know if I made the team. Yeah. Right. Still, there's still I was specifically told that I didn't make the team. There's still a chance out there. You know who's not on a team anymore in this city? Who? Matt Klintak. He's still on the team. He's just not the general manager, apparently. So what exactly is his role now? Uh, I'm totally setting you up. It's consultant, a, isn't it? In a side office someplace. But, but he's a consultant, right? I don't know. What's he Jeff. consulting on? They didn't think he did a good job. So what, what's he watch, consulting on? Did you watch that disaster of a press conference from John Middleton? Yeah, I, you know, it, it, you know, when he took over as the, as the main guy, as the owner, it was uh, I'm in charge. It was the Alexander Haig moment. It was, you know, I, the, the buck stops with me. And apparently the buck doesn't stop with him. He can talk a tough game until he then uh, fires Matt Klintak and blames him for something that you, as an owner, makes absolutely no sense. Jeff, I know you know. At what point did my head actually explode during that press conference? Oh, and when he when he was blaming Matt Klintak with regard to the JT Realmuto. Here's the deal. In case people don't know, and I know everybody that's listening to our show actually knows how sports works, but for the general public, sports works that a general manager really does trades, okay, and builds a team. Once the player is here, then it's up to the owner because the owner writes the checks and decides how much they're going to pay someone. Matt Klintak, you, I have lots of issues with him, including having the third worst bullpen in the history of baseball, but... Matt Klintak made the trade to get the best catcher in baseball here. That guy has produced here for two years. And Middleton's now saying that somehow that this is Klintak's fault because he didn't lock him up. Klintak can't write the checks. 
I guarantee you if, that if, if Klintak went back to Middleton and said, here's how much he wants, he doesn't, Middleton doesn't say to Klintak, what do you think? That's not how this works, especially with Middleton. It's, I want this guy. Here's how much, that's what he did with Bryce Harper, right? Yeah. Okay, well then he can't blame this. If JT Realmuto and DD Gregorius end up wearing Mets pinstripes next year, the only person that Middleton can blame is Middleton. There is nobody. I don't care who you could fire everybody else. It is the only the responsibility of the owner because this is a situation. You got the best catcher. Now you have to pay him like that. He came off as defensive, confrontational, uh, challenging reporters on the premises of their questions as if, why are you asking it? Uh, it did not instill confidence. You know what he, he did? Everything he did. He did everything short of the old, have you ever played the game? It was pretty close. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> the condes- well, he did that to Megan Montemuro. The condescension with the Megan Montemuro exchange uh, dripped through the radio. I was listening in the car. What right? did he say? Uh, he goes, you, you do know that Andy McPhail won two World Series. You do know that Pat Gillick only won three World Series, right? And each time she goes, yes. I do. It's like, when's the last time was, McPhail won a championship? Exactly. Just because you built or were involved with the building of a team or built a team 20 or 30 years ago, that's not Pat Gillick. That's Andy McPhail. Wasn't but Brett Brandt, wasn't Brett Brown uh, on championship teams for the Spurs? So it seems. So does that mean we should never fire him? I mean, like, I don't understand what Middleton's point was other than he was frustrated and didn't want to answer a reporter's question and just decided to talk down to her and the thought that maybe that would be make her be quiet. We've got. I, I don't understand what the point was. Under a minute, Ned Rice is going to be the interim general manager. It didn't sound like me they were going to rush to hire somebody. What does an interim general manager do? Not a full-time. Push papers? Well, yeah, but no interim general manager is going to have authority to make a decision. Any last thoughts, Jeff, or is that it? <laughs> That's pretty much it. NetRise is not making any decisions. All right. Thanks, everybody, for joining us this week. Make sure to join us every Friday as we take you into the weekend. Have a great one. Bye-bye.